Welcome to the Gardens Podcast. This message titled, Disciples and Demons, Pigs and Proclamation, was given by Darren Roundson and is the 17th in our series, The Kingdom. All right, guys, we're in a series. <clears throat> we, we've kind of been out of the series, but now we're diving back in to this series of The Kingdom. Um, it's called The Kingdom. Um, following Jesus in, in times of chaos, and we're looking through uh, the, the we're looking at the central message of Jesus Christ, which is the kingdom of God, and we're walking verse by verse through the book of Mark. We've kind of been wandering through this book, trying to um, reframe and redefine Jesus, and and and. Um, and, and the implications of the message that he brought 2,000 years ago and what that means for us today. We're trying to define what it means to live in the kingdom of God here and now. And what does it look like for us as a community to, to kind of um, embody that as a reality. So um, we're just going to jump in. I'm not going to do a bunch of review, but my hope this morning is simply to share with you one of the stories from Mark chapter 5 um, and share with you some of the, the characters that are in the story and the implications for us today over 2,000 years later. So are you with me on that? Um, I'm going to need some energy from you because I'm a little tired and I'm feeling a little sick. So the more hollers, the more woot woots I get... All right, I'm feeling better already. So um, go to Mark 5, and let's read this together. Verse 1 of Mark 5. And if you need a Bible, there's some, one, there's some on the side. So just raise your hand, and maybe someone will be polite enough to get it for you. Maybe not. Verse five, or chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And he had stepped out, and he, when he had stepped out of the boat, immediately a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one could restrain him anymore, even with a chain. For he had often been restrained with shackles and chains, but the chains he wrenched apart, and the shackles he broke in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of this man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. He begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country, now on the hillside, a great herd of swine was feeding, and the unclean spirits begged him, send us into the swine, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down to the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. A couple of background. First of all, Mark chapter 5, it begins with saying that they came to the other side of the sea. They refers to the disciples and Jesus. If you recall in, uh, in Mark chapter 4, Jesus spent the day teaching the nature of the kingdom of God through parables. He was teaching a large group of crowd, or a large crowd, and he was talking about what it meant to, um, what the nature of the kingdom was, uh, what the nature of the kingdom was like. And so we described this a couple months back as the kingdom of God being primarily a reality to experience. Do you remember that message where I, I gave someone headphones I said, write down the song and um, describe it to us. And then I read it to us and we're like, what is this song? But then you hear it and the words that, we, that they described, it made sense. And what we realize is that in the kingdom of God, that it, you, it's like if, if someone's not in it, if someone's not walking and, and doing what Jesus is saying, it's kind of like, li, like trying to describe a song to somebody that they haven't heard. 
And so that's what parables are like. They're stories that are revealing something of God. So Jesus spends a whole day talking to this large crowd. And as soon as it started to get nighttime, when they were done, Jesus tells his disciples something that no one should tell a disciple. He says, let's go across to the other side of the, uh, of the sea. And this was very problematic. Here's a couple of kind of insights into the kind of first century worldview. First of all, um, the, you would never cross the sea at night. You never really fish at night, maybe early morning, but not at night. Um, that there's some superstition built around that. And you would never go across the sea. You would always go to where you could see land. But never would you cross the sea because the sea in the first century Jewish mind represented the, a territory where other gods, other forces and powers, other than Yahweh, other than the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, had authority, had power, and had dominion. In other words, to go to the sea was to go into the enemy territory where there were gods controlling the sea. So Jesus tells his disciples, who are probably around the age of 15 to 25, no older than 25, that, hey, guys, let's go across the sea at nighttime into the sea. And, you know, they, they would have ha read the book of Daniel. Daniel talks about monsters coming out of the sea. I mean, built into their mindset, built into their, 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 um, their Jewish perspective was this idea that that sea was, was the territory of demons, or other powers and forces, other gods. And yet they get in the boat, and what happens? They get into the boat, and of course, they're met by a powerful storm. Big surprise. This is exactly what they expected. You remember this in chapter 4? The storm, storm starts filling up the boat. They, start, they say they're going to perish, and Jesus has the audacity to take a nap. He's sleeping. They wake him up. They say, what do you care about us? Do you care about whether or not we're going to perish? And, uh, and Jesus, kind of half, half awake, half asleep, just tells the storm to shut up. He says, be quiet, be still. And it's not that the storm kind of died down. It says that it's, it just immediately happened. It immediately happened. So they're, they're now on the sea. This is in chapter 4. And it, the, the, um, the storm has been calmed. But there's one other thing that's kind of problematic in the story. First of all, Jesus said, go to the other side of the sea. On the other side of the sea is Gentile territory. You see, the Jews, in their kind of worldview, they saw the chosen people of God, the Jewish community, Israel, and everyone else. And the chosen people of God were select, they were holy, they followed this rule system, the, these legal ways of, of keeping yourself separate so you can be clean and in community. But everyone else that was a Gentile, they were seen as unclean. And everywhere else outside of Israel, in Israel proper, was seen as also unclean. And a place where those Gentile people worshipped those other gods, in another area where gods kind of ruled over those types of land and people. Are you with me? So you have a lot of stuff going on in the story. And so chapter 4, we kind of missed some of that. And Bill did a good job of bringing that up a couple weeks back. But so you have, they're, they're crossing the sea at night. They're tired. Their rabbi's sleeping. He tells, they, they're met with a storm. They're about to drown. The sea, the sea and the winds cease and die immediately. And they're thinking, who is this guy? And if you remember in the end of chapter 4, literally, when the storm stops, they're afraid. Because they're in someone else's territory. But the guy in the boat commanded the sea and the winds to stop, and they obeyed. And so in chapter 4, it ends with kind of this, this really interesting dynamic. I could see it in a movie. It's like the, 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 you see the storm just coming in. It's loud. It's, it's crazy. And then all of a sudden, it dies down. And it's quiet, and there's like a, a violin. You know what I'm talking about? It's like this creepy music. 
Who is this that even the winds and the, and the seas obey him? Who is this? And chapter 5 begins, and all of the disciples' superstition, all of their worldviews, everything their mom told them not to do when they were a kid, don't go to the other side because you know who's there. But it's not just who's there. It's not just one demon. It's not just an unclean Gentile man. It's a thousand demons and they're met by, by a guy who lives in the tombs, who's surrounded by pigs. And if you're a Jewish person, you know that tombs are unclean and pigs are unclean. And so everything's met and they're just, they're, they're just stumbled. They're just, you're, they're just observing what's going on. But the question is what Mark really wants us to focus in on. Who is this? That even the winds and the seas obey him. And if the the disciples throughout the book of Mark until until chapter 8, they don't get who this Jesus guy is until a couple chapters later. In fact, this story that we're going to break down, it doesn't really affect them that much. But the people that do get him are the least likely people. They're the Gentiles and they're the demons. And so you have all of this background where all of their expectations are met. The disciples, their superstitions, their previous belief systems of God's controlling the sea. Obviously, that's real. There's a giant storm that nearly killed them knowing that they're going to an unclean territory where there's, there's people that live in tombs, there's pigs, there's demons, they're, this is Roman territory. They're just, there's all this fear, and yet they get there, and they're met by this man. And look at what, what, um, how, how Mark describes this man. It says that um, the man had an unclean spirit, that he was isolated, that he lived among the tombs in the city. And at some point, someone tried to restrain this man, maybe the whole city at one point, and they shackled him, and he had supernatural strength that he was able to break shackles. And so at some point, they, just, they, they left him to roam freely, alone, naked, isolated, out of his mind, possessed, a spiritual captive. And he began to harm himself. It describes this thing of him, him using stones to, to cut himself. And, and if, you don't, if you don't know about this, but that's one of the most ancient forms of pagan worship. We read in 1 Kings that the prophets of Baal, they would worship by cutting themselves because they couldn't just offer grains. They couldn't just offer their firstborn. They had to do something. They had to harm themselves to appease the gods that they worshiped. And so Mark is just describing this great scene that this is obviously not Jewish territory. This is obviously where all all the bad stuff that you are not supposed to be a part of is, is going on. But the man, he's isolated. He's shackled. He's free to roam. He's howling on the mountaintops and in the tombs. He's a spiritual captive, cutting himself, practicing this ancient form of worship. And, and, um, and notice this, that, that the demon that's possessed this man recognizes Jesus from afar and runs down, prostrates himself, and claims the identity of Jesus. This guy wouldn't know who this man is, but the demon does. And the demon says, Jesus... What do you want with us, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? The answer to the question of who is this in the boat is answered by the demon. He's the Son of the Most High God. And you have this confrontation. And when I read this growing up, I was always terrified. Are you, is it, does anyone else read this and get freaked out about Legion? I might be the only one. So I want to talk through that a little bit later on. We can pray for you too. Um, but Legion... Is, is, um, is a Latin military term used to describe the largest unit of a Roman army. 
It's a Latin word that the readers of Mark would have picked up immediately. Because remember, Mark is writing to the church in Rome. So they were, they were around Roman soldiers. This is, this is a term used to describe a military unit numbering in about 5,600 soldiers. So the, there's, there's a lot going on here, and it's, it's difficult to kind of grasp the severity of the situation. The demon is possessing this man, but his name is Legion, and the readers who's reading in this, this letter from Mark would understand that Legion doesn't just me- represent this demon. And it, it might not be that there's 5,600 demons inside of this man, but he might, Mark might be trying to describe a scene where the occupying force uh, that's corrupt that's terrorizing, that's, that's, um, that's, that's torturing, that, is, that is, uh, has, has claimed ownership over all the land, the Roman army, the force that it has, is represented in this guy and his possession. Does that make sense? There's military imagery all over this chapter. And so what we see is that something greater is going on. And so there's this confrontation with this legion. And, and I want to just say, it's most likely, it's not that there was 5,600 demons in this guy, but it's describing the military force, that, that this, the power, um, the, the, the sheer intention to, to corrupt, to defeat, to oppose God's creation, to terrorize and to inevitably destroy God's creation that represents the demonic. We don't talk about demons very much here, huh? Some of us, we all have different backgrounds. I just, I just want to kind of share some observations about, um, about this kind of situation with the Legion. So a couple of observations about Legion and possession. Um, is it cool if we do this together? Uh, I think it's important that we understand this. It's not to scare, but it's to understand what's happening. So first observation I need to say is that demons are real. Right? We can't just go on ignoring that this is not a spiritual, there's not a spiritual warfare. There is a spiritual warfare out there. There's a spiritual warfare in here, and we need a spiritual warfare worldview. We need to understand that there are opposing forces against God's will and and character and activity on earth, here and now. That there's a battle being waged right now. There's a battle going on. Paul will talk about it. It's not against flesh and blood. It's been spiritual powers and principalities and authorities. And yet we live where we want to diagnose everything and want to separate ourselves. We live in a way that doesn't demand opposition, don't we? Let me say that again. Some of us live in a way that doesn't demand an opposition against the opposing kingdoms of God. And so we have to first recognize that there are demons and that they are real. And there are a variety of, of, of ways to describe it. Demons, um, the second observation are, is in this story, legion, and, and possession has to do with personalities. That legion has a personality, would you agree? They have an intelligence. Um, they have names. They have an identity. Why is that important? Well, um, they are angelic beings that have uh, disobeyed or rejected God's rule, and now they're operating to, to kind of oppose his way. And so we have to set, understand that there are evil powers out there. And let me just differentiate this. This might be a little too much, and I'll try my best. But um, I love the Lord of the Rings. And I'm a nerd in that sense. But there's a great allegory in it. Because um, the way that Tolkien uses uh, kind of the, the allegory of the, the ring and, and describing kind of the orcs and the night riders, um, you see the orcs and the dragons and those little creatures that look scary. They are scary and they terrorize. But that's not the real problem, right? Those are personalities waging war um, on behalf of Sauron. 
But those aren't the real big issues. The real issues is the real issue is what the ring does. It had the power to corrupt. It had the power to take what was innocent and make it bad. That's that's talking about a corporate evil, a supra personal. Does that make sense? We we can see that on a larger scale when we look at India and we see people dying of hunger. When we see people not having enough to live off of. And those with, with something not doing anything, that's injustice. There's evil out there. So we're talking about personalities. We're talking about the orcs. We're talking about in this situation. Sorry if that was a little sidebar, but that was, that was for me, and I'm glad I got to share with you my fascination with Lord of the Rings. Um, so they, they have identities. They have an intelligence. Third, they, um, they, their power has been stripped away because of Jesus. We have to recognize this, and this is really, really important. Before I do that, let me just say this. At some point with the possession... This man was possessed by the demon legion. At some point in his story, we have to just pull ourselves into this. This person had opened himself up through either habitual sin, we could say drug and alcohol abuse, which enables a person to not have self-control and be alert, like the Bible says, maybe through false religion, through spirituality in general, occultic behavior. There are varieties, a variety of ways where we can open ourselves, unbelievers can open themselves up to the demonic control. And what happens over time is that their thoughts, their deeds, their identity more and more becomes dominated by an opposing or alternate personality by another being. There are ways we open ourselves up to this. It's not just a manifestation of a personality that was invented by a trauma or cope with suffering, although that's what happens. Multiple personality disorder, disassociated identity disorder, all of those things are real, but there are also things like demon possession. And I have been a part of many experiences with that. I will try my best, and I, I do everything I can to say it's not a possession, but there are sometimes things that happen where you cannot deny the presence of a demon or evil in someone's life. And I don't need to go into stories, but I want to say that, that what happens is some people open themselves up to lies, to temptations, accusations, spiritism, demonism, occultism, and addictions that allow demons to come and take control and work through them inevitably to destroy them. That's this man's story with Legion, okay? It doesn't just happen overnight. It's not like exorcism or, you know, the rite or exorcism of Emily Rose. Um, but there are elements to it. We have to just recognize that people over time can do that. Are you with me on that? Okay, I want to make this clear too. If you read this story, does it seem like it's a battle? Does it seem like, the, okay, let me just, does it seem like there's really a, a, a big confrontation or battle going on? No. I mean, there's obviously some opposition, but would you agree that Jesus doesn't even break a sweat over this, over this legion? That he has so much more power and authority that he doesn't even have to say anything except give permission. Do you recognize that? So if any of you are thinking, okay, demons are real, they have power, they're, they're, you're freaking out, you have to recognize that through the power of the Holy Spirit, through what Jesus did on the cross, they no longer have a power over us. Only to what we give them. And that comes with fear and terror. They have no power over us. And this is why I'm talking about this. This is why I wanted to get into this. Because here's the thing. I'm, I know Long Beach. This is a very spiritual, spiritually dark place. There are a lot of cults. I don't know if you know it. There are a lot of cults. I live my house on 4th and Junipero, my, our apartment. There's three different cults within a half mile radius. I don't know if you know this. One burned down. I was like, praise God. And um, in a half mile radius, right there, 
I mean, there is so much spiritual stuff happening, and if we don't know how to play this game, if we don't know how to enter in with authority, with power, with conviction, if we don't know how to offer someone that walks into our door, dealing with the oppression of their addictions, the, the things that other people have done to them, their past, if we don't know how to bring the liberating power of Jesus, then what are we good for? Because it's not just, oh, go find the crazy church that prays for people like that. It's, it's simply walking in the authority of Christ that he's given you with conviction. Just to call it out. Are you with me on that? So there's not really a battle after all that Jesus is actually victorious over everything. Um, so uh, I just want to make that clear. And also just a reminder of the story of Mark that Jesus describes his mission as, uh, as one of baptizing in the Holy Spirit. Unclean spirits are exercised. The Spirit of God comes and, and immerses that person. That's one of his marks of the ministry. The other thing is binding the strong man. Notice the language that no one could subdue this man. Jesus walks up and doesn't even have to try and the guy's released. Freedom. He's binding. You're seeing his mission be fulfilled. And, and, and one of his missions in another gospel is that his, his mission is to come and release the captives. This man is released. From spiritual captivity. So, Jesus' mission, um, what happens is the demons, legion, asks Jesus to not leave the region which, or the country, which is so unique. It's, that's a whole other theological discussion. To not leave the region, to stay in the region, and not just be disembodied and exercised. They ask to go and embody God's creation. Check that out. There's the, another observation is that demons, they don't have a physical body, and they love, I'm just going to say, they love to possess the creation of God. So they want to go and not be disembodied. They want to be in the swine. And what happens, he gives them permission, which is another military word, gives them permission, 2,000 swine there, pigs, and they go and they die, and now they're disembodied. That's what happens with the legion. And that story ends, but then the story in Mark continues. So why don't we pick up in um, verse 14. So, uh, uh, so what we see is that the, 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 the pigs drown and then we read in verse 14, the swine herds, the, the people that were raising the swine, ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came to see what it was, uh, what, sorry, see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demoniac sitting there clothed and in his right mind. The very man who had had the legion and they were afraid. Those who had seen what had happened to the demoniac and to the swine reported it. Then they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus refused and said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and and what mercy he has shown you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. So the story is, the herdsmen go off to tell the countryside what had happened. Okay, so remember, pigs are unclean animals. And the fact that there's 2,000 pigs re- represents a, a significant thing. It's, that's a lot of pig, right? <laughs> that's a lot of money. Pigs being raised for that would have been raised probably for the, uh, the, the sacrificial ceremonies they would have had for their other gods. They would have used pigs to sacrifice to their false Id- idols. 
They also would have probably raised pigs for, to feed the Roman Empire, the Roman army. And this is what's really compelling, is that the pigs in this story represent their, a sign for, of their worshiping other gods, of them worshiping other gods, and the industry they had to support the Roman army in their land, Decapolis, which means ten towns. It was kind of a confederation on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So the, the swine represents so much. It's a lot of money. It's like 2,000 cars driving off a parking lot of a car dealership. And then the car dealer is going back and saying, look what happened. That's what's going on here. And so they come back. And this is what I love. Is they see, the swine herders saw what had happened. They saw this man get healed. They saw the, the pigs take off. And then the city comes back. And, and you just got to imagine what this city would have felt. What this city would have thought. You see, there was whispers of what, what had happened. The city comes down the hill. And what do they see? They see the demon-possessed man sitting there. This guy who was famous. They could hear his howling. They knew that he was, he was hanging out in the graveyard. They knew that he was out of his mind. That he had been isolated. Some of them probably tried to capture him, tried to hold him down and subdue him, but they couldn't. He lived in the graveyard. They knew who this guy was. This was the guy that you would tell your kids when they misbehaved that he's going to come and get you. This is that guy, and here he is, left alone, and they run down this hill, and they know that this guy was running wild. They tried to avoid him at this point because they couldn't hold him down. They stayed away from that part of the town. The city had given up on this guy, and here he is sitting there in his right mind, clothed, healed, rescued, liberated. And it says that the people were afraid. And I believe that they weren't afraid because God healed this man or that this Jesus had the power to bind what they couldn't bind. I believe they were afraid because this ruined their economy. I believe they're afraid because this guy, Jesus, came in and destroyed their industry, as corrupt as it was. This guy came in with the power to bring a new way of life, but they didn't want it to challenge their comfort and their commerce. I believe they were afraid because they would much rather have their pigs than a Messiah. They would have much rather had their, have their jobs, their security, their comfort, their livelihoods than to have the Son of the Most High God dwell with them. And then here's this man in the story, in his right mind, experienced the, the power and wonder of God in the flesh, incarnate Jesus Christ. And he says... He begs Jesus to go with him, to be with him. And remember when Jesus appointed his apostles, what did he say to them? He appointed them to be with him, to go into the world and to, to proclaim the, the kingdom and to cast out demons. This guy wants to be a disciple and Jesus says, no, don't, don't come. And there's a couple of reasons. One, he's a Gentile. This would have been a stumbling block for the Jews. They couldn't see a Gentile following Jesus as a disciple in Israel. The second thing is this. The Gentile nation of Decapolis did not have unrealistic expectations of the Messiah. Remember, Jesus throughout the book of Mark is redefining Messiah, redefining God, redefining kingdom for all the people that had all their, already made up their, they've already made up their minds on what God's supposed to look like, what the Messiah is supposed to be. But the people that this guy, repre- that this guy represents, does, don't, he doesn't have, they don't have expectations, excuse me. 
So he releases him as the first missionary to go and tell everyone about what God has done and the mercy that he showed him. Just think about what this means. And think about what this means for us. How many of us have experienced God, have experienced healing, have been liberated from that one past, and all we want to do is go back into the church, find new friends, because it's so much easier to be with Jesus there than to stay as a missionary to the very people that shackled us in the first place. Jesus was saying, I know those people hurt you. I know those people kept you isolated. I know those people called you crazy. Go show them what God has done for you. How much easier is it for us to do that than to hide in the church? The man was healed and he was commissioned. So this morning, um, I just wanted to share this story. There's a lot of history. There's a lot of kind of first century perspective. There's some characters. And I just want to ask you, who are you today? And where are you in the story? Are you like the disciples who were distracted by their expectations, by their superstitions, and maybe by fear, or maybe they were just distracted by their own experiences in life, and they simply are just waiting on the outside, wondering who is this or where is he? Is that you this morning? You've been a believer for a while, but you, you don't experience what everyone else gets to experience. Are you allowing your fear and your experience, your expectations of God to limit your relationship or actually define your relationship. Maybe you're like the man and this morning you just recognize that, man, you, you are in desperate need of healing. That there, are, there is just so much crap in your life and it's not possession, but it's, but it's just you feel enslaved to your, your own crap. Maybe somebody's harmed you and what they've done to you have, have, has literally defined who you are. And maybe community has defined who you are. Maybe this morning, all you have to do is just say, God, I want healing. And go get prayer. We want to pray for that. We want to release the captives. So we've, we, some of us are just holding on to our own chains that have already been cut. And we need that healing. Maybe you're also like the man. And, but, but you have experienced this transformation and this healing. But you're just like that man and you're begging to go and you're, you're followed Jesus all the way to the comfort of your own home with your own little community group or your own little family that, that looks exactly like you and nobody's really risking anything and no one's really hurt. You're not really sharing anything because all of you have experienced that type of relationship before. But maybe you're here and Jesus is saying, get back over there. It wasn't to be here, it's to be there and just simply proclaim all that God has done for you. Amen. Or maybe you are just like some of us and you're just like the herdsmen or the country people. You've witnessed the power of Jesus and maybe some of us, we actually even want Jesus but as long as he doesn't mess up our plans. Right? Right? You desire healing and wholeness, but not at the expense of being exposed as an idol worshiper. You want healing and wholeness, but not at the expense of being exposed as an idol worshiper. You don't want to give up the God of consumerism, the God that makes you desire bigger, better, faster, next generation. The God of individualism that makes what you feel, what you desire, the king of everything else. And you don't have the mind of Christ which is to think of others better than yourselves. You're just too focused on yourself and what your plans are. And maybe it's even worse than that. Maybe it's, it's so twisted that you're just so insecure 
that you can't see yourself the way God sees you. It's not pride. Well, it is pride because it's an inaccurate view of self, but maybe you're down here and you don't realize that God actually wants to see you, you see yourself as you are. Not this false humility stuff. Maybe you're worshiping the God of materialism. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's pleasure. But whatever it is, as long as Jesus has his Sunday and not the rest of my life, I'm okay. Maybe that's you this morning. We desire Jesus, but not the kingdom he brings. I don't know where you are, but I want to allow God to minister um, to you this morning. I'm going to have the worship team come up. We'll just enter back into worship. Uh, I want to remind you there's crosses around the room. Maybe this morning, take, take some communion. Go sit before the cross and repent. Confess your sins to one another. I mean, we have a lot of work to do with ourselves, but God wants to get rid of that stuff to send us out. I think many of us would rather have the legion howling in the graveyards of our life than the Son of the Most High God transform our very being. I just asked this last question. Are you living a life that demands opposition by the opposing kingdoms? Maybe start there. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we declare this place as holy ground. This is your your field and where you're cropped and, and only you get to, to minister to us, not someone else. And so we just recognize this space. I just invite your Holy Spirit now to come. Why don't we just wait for a little bit? I cultivate Thank you for listening. If you would like to hear other messages from the garden or would like to find out more about the Garden Church, check out our website at thegardenlb.org.